So I'm going to ask you to go on a little journey with me. This is just a little journey in the mind. We're going to start with a close-up on our current situation. It is noisy and chaotic, filled with violence and hate-filled rhetoric. It is exciting, fast-paced, and vibrant, but it can also be pretty frightening. Pan out now to an image of our planet floating silently in the great starry blackness of space, just a dot in the vast universe. And now, cue the voiceover from the late great astronomer Carl Sagan. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you ever heard of, everyone you know, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. Every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. So now as we start to pan back in, let me draw your attention down to one tiny spot on the globe, down at the very tip of South America, as we hear one solitary voice. So that was the voice of Christina Calderon, the last native speaker of the Yagan language. Christina lives in Tierra del Fuego, the land of fire the southernmost inhabited place on the earth, a place of great beauty and extreme harshness. The Yagan people inhabited that area for well over 6,000 years, developing rich stories and traditions and speaking a unique language unrelated to any other spoken today. But then Europeans arrived, bringing disease, and cultural salvation, all but wiping out the Yagans. Christina is the last to speak Yagan as a lived native language, the last to be able to tell her people's stories from memory. Christina is 89 years old. She grew up speaking Yagan with her sister and cousin and other living relatives until all of them died one by one, leaving only her. And now the question is, when Christina dies, will the Yagan language and culture die with her? Sadly, Christina is not alone in being the last living speaker of a dying language. 
Just as the world today is experiencing a massive die-off of its plant and animal species, we are living in a time of rapid cultural and linguistic die-off. Languages, of course, are constantly changing and sometimes disappearing, but they are going extinct today at a rate that has never been seen before. According to the Endangered Languages Project, about half of the roughly 7,000 languages spoken in the world today will be gone by the end of this century. And some experts predict that the number of extinct languages could be much higher, as much as 90% of all of the languages spoken today. Now, it's estimated that one language is dying every 14 days. With the loss of any language, we also lose a culture. And disappearing along with that culture and language is the memory of a unique, direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder. What we lose when we lose a language is an untranslatable, unique experience of life. And some would say, of God. A one way to understand this loss is by becoming familiar with a few words from different languages that are not directly translatable into any other language. In Spanish, for example, we have the word sobremesa, which is used to describe the time spent sitting around the table talking after a meal. Portuguese gives us saudade, which is the feeling of longing for something or someone lost forever. In Namibia, speakers of Rukwangali can sum up the act of walking on tiptoes across warm sand in just one word, hanyauku. Inuits describe that feeling of anticipation that makes you keep going to look out the window to see if somebody is walking up the path as itsuapa. And Swedes have a lovely word, muangata, which describes the moon reflected in the water so that it looks like a road. Each word is precious and represents a singular expression of life. How much is the total spirit of humanity reduced when we lose a word like mami la pinatapare? A word that Christina Calderon would know, a yagan word, which means, I love this word, a look that is shared by two people with each wishing that the other will start something that both desire, but neither wants to be the one to start. Mami lati yakapai. There is a deep connection between what is happening to our earth and what is happening to our languages because it is through language that we relate to our land and to nature. Now you've probably heard that Eskimos have 50 words for snow, 
But did you know that the Inupiaq dialogue has 70 words for ice? The Sami people have a thousand words for reindeer, and Hawaiian has 200 words for rain and 600 words for wind. I still remember that joyful discovery that I felt when, as a student of Russian, I learned the term gribnoy dosht, or mushroom rain, which is a very special kind of rain. It's a sweet, fresh rain, especially in the fall, when there is rain and sunshine at the same time, the kind of rain that makes mushrooms grow in the forest. We need these words that name nature and all of its magnificent variety because when we can name a thing, we pay attention to it. And we can't expect just one language to be able to name all the beautiful diversity of this planet. We need all the languages, all the different cultures, all the different kinds of people in the world to even come close to describing how miraculous it is to be human and consciously alive on this planet. About nine years ago, a new edition of the Oxford Junior Dictionary was released that reflected changes in word use in English and as a dictionary for children, it included only those words that are considered basic vocabulary. So words like acorn, fern, heron, ivy, pasture, and willow were deleted. And they were replaced with words like attachment, blob, bullet point, chat room, and voicemail. Now it's true that language is a reflection of our lived reality, but if, for example, we lose the ability to describe nature in a precise and appreciative way in English, then those Hawaiian words for rain and those Inuit words for snow and ice become even more important to us as a planet-dwelling species. When we lose a language that has been developed over thousands of years to describe a unique, geographically rooted way of being in the world, we lose a critical connection to our planet. How much easier is it to destroy a forest when all we're destroying is a bunch of trees? than when every tree, plant, and stone has a name. How much harder is it to treat the planet with contempt when you have words like the Japanese word komoraibi, which describes sunshine filtered through the leaves and the play of light and leaves on the ground. Now, several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to the Peruvian Amazon. And out the plane window, I watched what looked like hands of fire 
moving across the lush greenness as rainforest was burned away to make way for cattle grazing and palm oil production. And I wondered, what amazing species, what plant that could hold the cure to cancer is being wiped out right now, even as I watch. And as the hand of fire that is globalization moves across our world, what concepts, what insights, what poetry are we losing forever? But preserving linguistic and cultural diversity isn't just a matter of recognizing transcendence and beautiful complexity. It's also a matter of justice. Before the arrival of Europeans, there were as many as 300 distinct languages spoken in North America. Now, most of these languages have gone extinct, or they're spoken by only a handful of elders who will die within the next few years. As with climate change, this mass extinction hasn't just happened through some kind of natural process. Whole generations of indigenous peoples literally had their languages beaten out of them. In the United States, Native American children were publicly humiliated and severely punished if they were caught speaking their mother tongues. So of course, it was just a matter of time before they learned to forget them. Without a language, indigenous peoples have no recourse to their own historical documents regarding their rights to land, water, and other resources. They also lose their connection to their culture and religion. Among many indigenous peoples, religious ceremonies depend upon using specific words. So for them, there is no such thing as worshiping in translation. When you kill the language, then, you kill people's connection to the universe and to their gods. And if you can't speak to your god, how do you speak to your ancestors? How do you know who you are as a people? Natalie Diaz, a Mojave American poet, has been working to revitalize the nearly dead Mojave language by recording and learning it from the three surviving elders who still speak that language. She describes the feeling of losing the language of one's people in this way. I lost my mother's hour. I lost my mother's son. I lost my mother's light. I lost my mother's day. I lost my mother's time. So, some of you know that uh, before I went back to seminary and became an intern here, I uh, worked for over 20 years in the field of international education, and and a big a big part of that work was was promoting the preservation of languages and cultures. So this is a topic that is really dear to my heart. 
And so I don't want to leave on a completely pessimistic, sad note. <laughs> but I want to ask, what can we do about this? Well, we can begin by taking some hope in the examples of languages like Cornish, Maori, Wampanoag, Hawaiian, and spoken Hebrew, languages that were dead or nearly dead, but have been brought back to life. We can honor and support all those individuals and groups that are working against time to save languages from extinction, like the young man, Yantan Gomez, who is learning Yagan from Christina Calderon, so that her language and culture will not die with her. Now, obviously, we can't all be fully proficient multilinguals, and we can't expect to learn all of the world's languages in order to keep them from going extinct. As with most things, though, we begin with understanding and with making an effort. We can educate ourselves about the extent of the problem and learn to identify the factors that are leading to accelerated language death in our times. One just very small thing might be Instead of watching another Hollywood-produced English-language movie or TV show, to make the extra effort to watch something in another language, even if that means having to struggle with subtitles. We might learn just a few words of welcome and kindness that we can say to our neighbors who speak another language. We might promote the value of foreign language education in our schools. We might advocate for multilingual education and work against English-only legislation. We might dedicate some of our time and treasure to support indigenous people's efforts to revitalize their languages. We might identify speakers of languages other than English who can be de um, designated bilingual welcomers to newcomers in our congregation. We might never stop trying to learn a second or third language, even if it is challenging or makes us feel not so smart. This summer, I've begun learning Welsh. And uh, pardon my language, but it is kicking my butt. Uh, I should say, kikyo vuitin. <laughs> but as the language of my ancestors, that nearly died once and is still vulnerable, I feel a sort of obligation to try. In the poem by W.S. Merwin that I read earlier, we find these lines. Where nothing that is here is known, we have little to say to each other. But if what is here is known, is named, if we know that there are thousands of words for earth and sky and love and people, that there are literally tens of thousands of ways to say hello, then we have so much to say to each other.